The Lord is on the throne. Today we've been taught, we started last week talking about Christian hope. Today we're going to continue that theme of hope, and we're going to look in the, in the book of Joshua about hope that's coming from an unusual place. Unusual in the sense that the Israelites are God's chosen people. They are the people with the heritage of faith that know God. They've been rescued from slavery now from Egypt. God heard the cries of oppression coming up from Egypt to the Jewish people, and he has stepped in, saved them from slavery in Egypt, and now they have come out, and they've been wandering in the wilderness. Unfortunately, the generation of people that came out of Egypt uh, were disobedient to God in several ways, and they were judged by not being able to enter into the promised land. Promised land refers to the actual area of land, which would be the Israel-Palestine area, that God had promised to Abraham many generations before and said, your descendants will dwell in this land. And so the Israelites are actually coming to receive a land promise. They're going to have a place, a possession of their own. The problem is there are inhabitants in that land. Uh, these inhabitants are generally a very immoral people, and God is using Israel to judge those people. Now, we need to understand the character of God. God is not the God of uh, destruction and warfare everywhere and smiting people because he thinks it's funny. That's not what God is like. God, however, does use violence because he is God. And so the reason I say that is because there's actual real violence that happens in the Bible, and it's kind of difficult to deal with sometimes. Why does that take place? It takes place because God is the creator, and he has specific standards for his people. When those standards are not followed, he said from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, if you sin against me, you shall surely die. And so the stakes are very high. Um, however, we know, because we sang it this morning, he's good, isn't he? And God's heart is not against people all the time where he is pushing them away. Instead, we see God's character as one who's welcoming, looking for repentance, searching people's hearts. That's what God is like. Um, it's incredible, though, that without God, we are so far from him. So far from him. Have you ever in your life um, fallen down a trap in your thinking? where you have begun thinking about something and suddenly you are following whatever progression of thought and it's become diluted in your own thinking. You know what I'm talking about? So for instance, um, think about a young person, right? Video games are fine, just be clear. Think about a young person who's spending 16 hours a day playing video games, right? At some point, a thought comes in their head. I can do this for a living. I am training for a job. And that young person now drops out of college to be a professional video game person. It never, ever works. Never. Right? And yet, there's something that happens where in your thinking, you can go from working hard to a leisure activity, to enjoying that leisure activity, to then thinking, I'm going to be able to do something with this. And it's a silly progression of thought, but you really believe it. Now, we do that with gym memberships in January. I'm going to use this one this time. It's going to happen by February, like, oh, well. You know, we tend to think about things and then kind of lead into progressions of thought that go all over the place. Um, the reason I'm telling you that, which I have just forgotten now, that's funny. <laughs> Delusions. <laughs> See, that's it. But sometimes we get caught up in thinking that takes us to places that we don't mean to be. 
And so it's important for us to come to the word of God and not just get regrounded in truth, but to understand God's character and who he is and the real hope that we have instead of the hope of the next thing being what it's going to be. Um, I, I've had the pleasure now of, of having a lot of friends who have gone through different fad kind of businesses and sales and all kind of stuff that's out there, right? And I had somebody come to me recently who was doing this online internet advertising thing that they stumbled into, and they're like, man, when I make it big, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you on board. And then I, I met with them again like four months later. I, How'd it go? They're like, I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of money. And I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. It's funny how certain thinking sometimes can drive us to a certain place. What I want us to do is we look in the book of Joshua. How does our thinking, how is our thinking affected by the word of God, by the character of who God is, and how does our Christian hope propel us forward into the promise of what God has for us, which is different than just letting our thinking go into crazy places. Because we can hope for riches, we can hope for the video game job, or we can hope in Christ and move forward into what he has. Does that make sense? Let's read in Joshua chapter 2. Here's what it says. Uh, Joshua has just taken over from Moses. To give you some context, they are about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. As I said, there are people there that they need to actually fight for the land. The first place they're going to come to is Jericho. Jericho, very well-known story here, is a heavily guarded and fortified city. The walls are multiple feet thick. It is not going to be conquered easily. So Joshua is going to send two spies into the land to find out what, what's going on in there. Here's what happens. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, Men of Israel have come here tonight in, t in order to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho said to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had also taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to her roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that had been laid there in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan, on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that... As I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you, shall stay, that you shall save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Then the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If we do not tell this business of ours, 
Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Praise the Lord for his word. After that, she lets down a rope. The men escape. They come back to Joshua and they give this report that she's just said. The people, their hearts melt before us because of the Lord. Now, this is astonishing for a couple of reasons. The first of which is spies have come into the land beforehand. One of those spies, the generation before, was Joshua himself, who came in the land, and he and Caleb, two out of ten spies, said, it's a good land. Surely God is going to give it to us. The other eight spies said, the men are giants, and it's, it's, it's impossible. We can never go in there. And so there was rampant unbelief amongst the people of Israel. Now these two spies come in. They receive this report of the fear of God that has preceded the people, and they're bringing that back to Joshua. It's pretty astounding. The second thing that's astounding is that this lady Rahab has heard about the Lord, and she actually fears him and is willing to hide the spies. That's incredible. That's incredible because the fortified city of Jericho believes with all its heart that its walls are stronger than God. Just believes it. And so they have no fear. Uh, they have a lot of fear of the Israelites, but their, their hope and their trust is in the wall. Rahab, on the other hand, has a hope and trust in a God she's never really met. And two guys who are going to keep their word somehow, which is incredible. As chapter 2 goes on, we find out that she even lives in the wall. So she's got a window looking out of the wall to be able to see what's going on. And so when the Israelites come, she's going to have a front row seat of whatever God's going to do in these Israelites because she's heard that God has devoted to destruction, completely destroyed other city-states. So this is incredible. Uh, you have to realize in this time period, too, there are cities around. The cities are like what you would think of with kind of um, the Robin Hood days, where the, like the city is basically that wall and everything and the castle. That's kind of intact, and, and that's the city. And that city has a king, so there may be you know, a couple ten thousands of people living in the city, and it's almost viewed as its own little kingdom. So occasionally there are governors and regents, but generally speaking, every little city becomes its own kind of nation state, if you will. So when one gets conquered, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for trade, for the economy. It affects everybody around. So Israel's reputation here has, has gone pretty far and wide. Um, does anything stand out to you in the story that astounds you, that surprises you? You can actually answer. It's okay. Anything surprise you? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little weird. So if you, if you couldn't hear it on this side, Krasanthi said the spies come to a prostitute's house. That's a little weird. Like, what's going on there? And if, they, if that happened, that we would question today, are they really from God? What's the deal? Uh, probably historically speaking, especially because she wants to save her whole family. Um, she is for sure a prostitute, by the way. There's no question about that. But probably they run sort of an inn as well. So it's in, in, and also there's this, if you want it, kind of thing. Um, or a really 
happening bar casino kind of place. Because the spies, this is just what scholars think is the best possible thought. Um, where would you go to find out information? You can't walk into the city hall. You know, and if you're sitting outside the bush in the city hall, like that, you're going to get noticed. So you go to the big happening bar and sit down and be like, hey, man, what do you do for a living? And you kind of listen to people's conversations and find out about stuff. Um, but they, ha they run this thing. So to your point, I agree with you. If Christians today were like, I'm spying things out, so I'm going to go to the strip house. Okay, that doesn't make sense. That's odd. Anything else surprise you? Good comment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Anything else? It's incredible. And the point of the matter is, is that it opens our eyes to think, well, maybe we shouldn't be so stereotypical about people. Yeah. And think a little more holistically about yeah, true. why people end up where they end up and why they do what they do. True. Yeah, very good. Great comment. Uh, Dr. Kletzker. No, absolutely. That's, yeah, amen. That's a great, great comment. Did everybody hear that? The, okay. Uh, Rex? It's, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, so it's, yeah, the prostitution of that society Rex is asking, is that the same as it would be today? Yes, basically. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I would say she's pretty, to Dr. Glusker's point, she's pretty high end. Sounds terrible, right? But she's, she's known this profession is happening a lot. Um, the people are, again, Jericho is not a moral town. It's not a, it's not a place where it's known for, man, they are just a people of character. You know, they're known for, man, great prostitutes kind of place. So that's not, I mean, I'm being really worldly. I understand that. But that's the reality that's happening here. And we're going to find in a minute God has a reason for it, which is really interesting. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, amen. That's cr- yeah, true. Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. That's, yeah, excellent insight. It's true. Hey, everybody's had, Shane, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, follow him. Yeah, yeah. It's true. That's yeah. That's very good. That's very good. Um, hey, those were great comments. As a pastoral aside, you guys are a wealth of information and insight. Good, good comments. I like asking real questions because I want you to actually participate, and I want you to feel comfortable when we say let's pray in the singing time too and stuff. You've got a wealth. Pray. It's good. We need to hear from each other. Don't hesitate. And don't think, what if my prayer is not good enough? Or what if my insight is not good enough? If you are totally wrong, we will not shame you. The elders will help you. We might need to say publicly, that wasn't right. But you know what? We'll all grow together, won't we? Okay? So that's one of the reasons I like to ask questions is be comfortable because the Lord has put us all together. Okay, I'm going to go on for sake of time. Turn with me, please. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. When I think of the book of Numbers in my head, I always see a number, usually four for some reason, the number four wandering around. Because the book of Numbers is the people of God have come out of slavery. It's the time that they're wandering in the wilderness. So that first generation that came out, God said, go conquer the land. And they said, no. And then God said, all right, fine. You're going to die off, and I'll bring the next generation. So for 40 years, as has been said, they're just wandering. And it's incredible during that time, too, because they're having manna, which is this bread that comes from heaven that feeds them because they're in the desert. They don't have, you know, crops and stuff. They also have coils that just sort of show up and fall to the ground. So they have meat to eat. Their shoes don't wear out. But the older generation does wear out and eventually dies off, and then God brings in the next generation. What's incredible, too, is when they came out of slavery in Egypt, immediately for the sign of the covenant, all the males were circumcised. But for 40 years walking in the wilderness, they refused to circumcise their children. And so once Joshua takes over, one of the first things that happens is they are all circumcised, all the men now who have grown into adulthood, whose parents refused to bring them into the covenant. Isn't that incredible? That shows you their heart is hard against God. Numbers 25 is going to explain to us some of those things that are happening there. So let's look at this together. We're going to start at verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim. Do you remember that? That's a silly sounding name, I know. But do you remember that from what we just read? It's They're in the same place. So when Joshua sends the spies, he sends them from this place, which is significant. It, the word in Hebrew means the Achaia tree, basically. Achaia's. So the place of trees kind of thing. So while they were in that place, the people began to whore. It's a strong word. With the daughters of Moab, so the Moabite women. They invited the people to, to bring sacrifices to their gods, 
and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself. How do you yoke yourself? They've sexually yoked themselves. They've also now physically yoked themselves with marriages. They've also yoked themselves by worshiping the gods of the Moabite people who are in this area. So they yoked themselves to the Baal, which is the uh, pagan god of the people of this place called Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Now, this is a violent story, right? What's, who's doing the violence, if you will? The people of Israel are doing all kind of crazy stuff, right? The Lord sends a plague. He allows this plague to come on his people. And he tells them, stop this. You stop this to stop my fierce anger on you. And so this plague comes on the people. Uh, if you didn't catch it, what's happening here is they've, they've gathered together. So there's a lot of Israelites, million, two million, somewhere in that range. And so the people with all the chiefs have gathered now at the tent of meeting, which is where Moses met with God. It's like the, it's like the temple before there was a temple in tent form. And so he goes there, and there, he's meeting with the chiefs of all the people. And while this is happening... It's going to tell us later, one of the chief's sons comes walking in with his Moabite girlfriend who is just married. So he takes his Moabite wife in front of all the chiefs, in front of Moses, like, forget you, Moses, with a very hard heart, walks to his tent, and he's going to spend some time with her. And so Phineas, who's the son of the high priest, jumps up in anger, grabs a spear, and pierces them both. How does he pierce them both? Because they're in the act of doing things that married people do. That's what he does. And God sees this action of fierce anger on his behalf, of jealousy for God's namesake because of the, the horrible affront of rudeness that this prince, if you will, has done. And so God relents on the, the plague. But 24,000 people have died. That's, it's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. What's really incredible is this is the same place that Joshua is at when he sends the spies. And what do the spies find refuge in? The house of a prostitute. Isn't God funny? Isn't he? He's so funny. Because God is sending the blessing of actually now walking into the promised land. And getting the report again for Joshua from the same context of where the people have turned against him. Because God's desire is to take a people who hoard after other gods, a people who wandered in their allegiance, a people who yoked themselves to other idols, other hopes, other thoughts, 
and instead to bring them to himself, that he would be their champion, that he would fight for them, that he would be the one who would bring them into blessing and promise instead of their work or their thoughts or their pride or their whatever. And they go to Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, and they find a wellspring of hope that there's a God who can save her. Well, I'm going to fast forward because we know the story, don't we? What's going to happen to Jericho? You know, these, these feet, feet thick, I think it was six feet thick walls. How do you f- attack that? And God says to the people of Israel, says, Joshua, march around the walls. Just go march. On the seventh day, shout real loud. So for seven days, they march around the walls. On the seventh day, all the people of Israel shout, and the Bible says the walls came crumbling down. Or maybe the song, but the Bible says it. And so the walls fall down. Now here's the miracle. You ready for this? Where is Rahab supposed to stay? We didn't read it, but do you know? She's supposed to stay in her home, but her home's in the wall. So who spares Rahab and her family? It's not the spies who are keeping their word. It's God who crumbles down all the walls, crushing the inhabitants, but preserving this woman of hope, preserving a woman of faithfulness, preserving one that he has already by revelation explained who he is. So that her hope is not just in these couple spies keeping their word. Her hope is in she knows the God who keeps people safe. She knows the God somehow, without even really knowing him yet, that delivers people from slavery and bondage. That's incredible. That is incredible. Rahab's story is more than just deliverance. It's God divinely reaching in and preserving somebody. Could you imagine being being Joshua? Or anybody around him. And so you're there. You're hearing the report. You've heard from the spies. The first thing you think is, you promised what? How can we we keep one family safe? You're in charge of that because, man, I can't. There's so many people. What are we going to do? We don't even know how to get through the wall. And then they go in and they preserve this family somehow. And they come walking out to meet Joshua eventually. And somehow... Can't you just see God's hand upon that to realize that the Lord could save a prostitute? The Lord could save a prostitute who had no hope of survival because she lived in the very wall that was the hope of her people. She lived in the very thing that was the affront to God. And yet the Lord spared her. And then realizing from the Lord, you know, it doesn't tell us this, but I, I know the Lord in his humor. He probably said, hey, Joshua, You remember where you were when you sent the spies? You remember that? Remember that? Yeah, I I did that on purpose. Because the Israelite people, time and time again, will yoke themselves to all kind of other hopes, all kind of other gods. And it sounds just like us. It sounds just like us, where our hearts wander and hopes come up, and suddenly we're thinking about this richest program that we found on the Internet that's going to, deliver us and give us all these finances and things are going to be perfect. And when that happens, man, I'll share that hope with you. And the reality is we have a God who can take a person even from the depths of sin and prostitution and bring him in and yoke her to himself that she would know peace. She would know life. She would know restoration. She would know a community. She would have a family in God. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible hope that we have. And more than that, the greatest hope that we have is that her lineage now of faith would continue on, as Mike told us, and even the Christ would be one of her descendants. You know what's incredible? Think about this for a second. 
one of her descendants, Jesus Christ, the king of the world, would come down, would hang on a tree, and would die for us. And to test whether or not he was actually dead, a Roman soldier would come and take a spear and pierce his side with it. And I can't help but think about how God's anger relented on 24,000 people who were killed when Phineas the high priest stuck a spear piercing it through those unfaithful whoring people. And now for an unfaithful whoring people, God would pierce his own son that we would know righteousness and peace and joy. And that is in the heritage of faith that is Rahab's story. And it's the hope of our life that because he was pierced, because he was true, because he was faithful, he even covers over our unfaithfulness. And suddenly our hope springs up in us that like Rahab, even if we are in the wall and our lives are an affront to God, he is so faithful and kind that we can come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to take away all unfaithfulness because of the faithfulness of Christ. Isn't that incredible? We serve such a great God. Here's what I want to tell you today. If you have put your faith or your hope or your trust in a wall, any kind of wall, it will not serve you. It won't do what you think it will do. If you are in a time where you feel like you have been distant from God, you've maybe connected yourself to some other hope, and you're realizing lately, why did I put so much trust in that thing, whatever it is? I'm telling you, we have a God who forgives. If maybe you have felt unsecure, where you don't know exactly where your life is headed and what's going on, I'm telling you right now, we have a God who is so faithful that even if the whole wall crumbles around you, he can preserve your life because he sent his son to die for us. And so today we can say in purity of truth, Lord, thank you for the hope that you've put in me, that God, my salvation does not rest on me. It rests on you and what you've done. We have a heritage of faith here where we can remember that God looks at the big picture. And so, you know, it's funny, as we start worshiping, sometimes, sometimes all the concerns of life come to your mind, don't they? Or am I the only one that that happens to? You ever do that? We're like, did I turn off the oven? You know, all of a sudden you start thinking, I think it's like a spiritual warfare kind of thing. But as soon as you start worshiping, man, your mind drives hard to anything else. And usually those things are relationships, bills, money schemes, because, man, if I could just make an extra $100,000 this year, that'd be great, right? If I could just pay off this house in five years, everything will be fine. And suddenly our minds turn from the hope of Christ, the hope of the gospel, to some other hope that we start thinking about. And I'm telling you right now, remember what God has done here. There is no stronghold like him. He is the strong tower. And as we come to Jesus Christ, you will find that as you orient your faith and your trust and your hope on him, he will not let you down. And suddenly as we see him who is the source of life, everything changes. As I think about Joshua, think about his story, it's incredible to me that God takes this people who knew nothing but disobedience. Their, all, their whole family heritage was disobedience. They knew of God's provision. 
They knew that God had never let them down. They had food every day. And then they come into this land, and they're supposed to do these feats. I think about the spies. Can you, could you imagine? You've eaten manna your whole life. Your whole life. Manna, quail, it's all you've ever had. And now you're sitting in the house of a prostitute, however that worked out. And she's going to hide you under these reeds. Do you remember what kind of reeds they were? The flax reeds. Flax is, is commonly dried out and made to make linen. And in their whole life, these guys have never experienced agricultural things like this, really. They've never experienced what a kind of a normal agrarian culture does. And you're hiding under the very fruitfulness that God has promised to you. How incredible is that? And in that moment, as they're hiding under those things, trusting that God will protect their life, all of their hope is in a prostitute who doesn't know God. And you know what? The Lord delivers. He delivers. It's so incredible. It's so incredible. I'm telling you today, our hope is not in people. It's in Jesus. He delivers. He always delivers. And if we try to dupe ourselves into thinking that there's any hope that can supplant or supplace Jesus Christ, cast it away from you. Come back to the source and say, Lord, you, you are my inheritance. You are the promised land. You are the king. You are everything. And I'm telling you right now, you will find the wellspring of hope come back up in you, and it will change everything about you as you continue in kingdom work. Amen? Let's pray together. Worship team, can you come up for just a minute? We're going to just end with a song together as you put your hope and faith in Christ. I can hear the kids bouncing, so they'll be okay for two minutes. As we sing this song, look to the Lord. Let the hope rise up in you again. The covenant keeper, the God who delivers, he will not let you down. If it's been a long time since your eyes were oriented on Christ, look at him. If you want me to pray with you, I would love to pray with you. Come up and I'll pray with you. But if you just sing, let your eyes look at Jesus again and say, Lord, I trust you. And let him minister his peace back to you. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing. Thank you, Lord.